Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome, friends. We don't know what's going on in your world this week and today as you are joining us on our podcast, but we just want to extend a warm greeting to you and we want to continue our walk through this book of Esther. And and we just have to say that the timing of this particular season of Walk with God has um, just, and us doing this book of Esther during this war right now in Israel, um, it, it has just caught our hearts. And as we work through this scripture, and you're going to see some verses today that um, almost feel like they could be part of a, a newscast. Yeah today yeah and and, and and the the um the story is just so profound uh, this desire to have the the jewish nation be destroyed um you're going to see this today as we continue but we're also going to see the great redemptive power and the power and the authority of an almighty god um, that's going to yeah. come clearly shining through this Abs- chapter today absolutely and you know our story is not over where we ended last week in cha- the end of chapter seven you know, Queen Esther had invited King Ahasuerus and Haman to join her on at two separate feasts on two separate days. And then that second feast, she revealed to the king, the foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. You can just imagine her pointing her finger at Haman. The king ordered Haman to be hung on his own gallows where he had planned to hang Mordecai the Jew. However, a royal decree had been written and it had been sent and declared throughout the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire calling for the destruction of the Jewish people. The battle for the lives of Esther's people was still ahead. And so we want to pick up today in the beginning of chapter 8 and continue with our story. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told the king who he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he'd taken from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. You know, Haman's death signals one of the greatest role reversals in the Old Testament. I mean, this is just, remember, what we have been saying now for weeks the fingerprints of God are all over this book. We don't see his name. We don't see, you know, Yahweh. We don't see any other of his names, Jehovah. We don't see those specifically found in this book. But Mordecai, the Jew, he refused to bow before Haman. And for this, Haman actually plotted to kill Mordecai and every single Jew. I mean, it wasn't just enough to destroy Mordecai because he didn't show honor to Haman, the second most powerful in the kingdom. No, and now here's this reversal. Haman is now dead. He's 
he, in fact, before he was hanged, he had to bow before Mordecai and publicly honor him, walk him around the capital of Susa. And now Mordecai is given the authority and the signet ring that Haman used to issue the decree of death to the Jews. You know, Esther and Mordecai have now received Haman's house and all of his wealth. And yeah, with that great role reversal, there, you say, oh, so everything's all right now. No, <laughs> no, there's still a very wicked edict in place that will destroy all the Jews. That still has to be resolved. The, the, the situation with Haman, that's resolved. But what Haman had done and put in place, that what he had begun and what was had been gone out to all these 127 provinces. I mean, this is still in place. As we continue with verse 3, then Esther spoke again to the king, and she fell at his feet, and she wept. She pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, the plot that he had devised against the Jews. And when the king held out his golden scepter to Esther, Esther then rose and stood before the king, and she said, if it pleased the king, and if I found favor in the king's sight, and then this thing seems right before the king, and I'm pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letter devised by Haman the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? You know, the queen here displays this extreme emotion in the setting, which makes perfect sense. Falling at the king's feet, weeping, pleading for her people. And once again, the king holds out this golden scepter saying, I will listen to you. You can come. Hundreds of thousands of innocent people have been sentenced to death. And and at this, Queen Esther can't bear to see this calamity that's coming to my people, she says. And right here is a, for me is a head to heart. You know, Queen Esther might be a beautiful woman who was crowned um, queen in the, in the in this place, and yet she values and cares about her people, the Jews. She's she's in power; she's going to be taken care of, but she cares about her people, and she falls on her face before this human king. And as I was reading this, I was struck by just this this compassion and this passion for others. And I asked myself, and I would ask you to ask yourself. When was the last time you've been so moved, so moved by something that's going on in your life or so moved by something that's going on in your world when, when you have not just fallen before a king or a powerful person in this world, but you've gone to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and you've pled with him to intervene. You know, in Psalm 57 verse 2, it says this, I cry out to God most high, El Elyon, the highest high God, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. God has a purpose. Do you believe that? God hears our cries when we cry out and we, we passionately seek him. And we say, God, I need you involved in this. And if we believe that he will hear us, and he will, that he has a plan and he does, come to him, come to him and pour out your heart. He, he delights when his children come in that manner. Yeah, and as you... You know, you share that. Well, two things touched me there. One is at that emotion as Queen Esther falls at the feet of the king and she's weeping and she's pleading. And and again, we, you know, when we, we say this over and over, you know, as we walk through 
these different passages of scripture that that the Lord leads us to, you know, whether it's a New Testament book or it's Old Testament. But what what we want to bring to you is the story. We want we want to get the people. We don't want to just go flying past these words and from you know phrase to phrase and sentence and verse and running into the next chapter. Yeah, and Brenda, she's not pleading for something for herself. She's going to be okay. Mordecai is going to be okay, but she is pleading with the king to avert an evil plan. I, this evil plan can't come about. And, and just that compassion and that, that desire that there's an evil plan in place. When's the last time you heard of an evil plan and that you fell on your face and that you interceded before God? And, and that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of relationship God desires us to have with him. But that's the kind of compassion that God desires for us to have for the lost, to plead for them, to plead that, that God would send forth workers into his field, that, that we should see the distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd, and we should have passion and compassion on them. Yeah, so don't miss the emotion of this scene. Don't miss that, you know, Esther's work still wasn't done. Remember she that first day when she went before the king and invited he and Haman to a feast and then said, come back tomorrow for another. She's, she's still in the process. She still wants to save her people. And, and what we see here with this king, um, just to point out, you know, Walt, Walt and I just were talking and, and, Walt was pulling in a lot of the history for who this king is as he ruled. And, you know, this, this was a foolish king. He, he was very self-focused. In a lot of ways, we see that he was weak-minded. I mean, we see early in the book of Esther, he raises Haman to second in command in his kingdom. We have history lessons that tell us what he was like when he went into battle. He was foolish. He, he lost a lot of, of his army because of his foolishness. There's, there's an entire history lesson that we could, could present here, but the reality of how he reigned and how he ruled. And it makes perfect sense that he would foolishly put Haman in place and, and he would, Haman say, Hey, I can make us some money. Let's just kill a bunch of people. And after the defeats to both Sparta and Greece, he, he needed some money. He needed something positive to happen to his people, the Persians. And if it happened at the expense of some people he didn't even know about, he was good with that. And, and you see here now in verse seven, behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman and they've hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you, you need to, you know, like Haman put this edict in place and I can't turn it around. So you're going to have to write, uh, um, another edict, another decree, right as you please with regard to the Jews, put it in my name, seal it with my ring, an edict written in the name of the king sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So the king says, you know, this is what happened. Haman put this in place, but you know, I can't revoke it. It was written. It's, it was sent out to all the provinces. So Queen Esther and Mordecai, you sit down and you write a new decree and you know, we'll sign it and make sure that it says that it will protect the Jewish people from death. And so, I mean, he's almost 
well, not almost, he's continuing in his haphazard ways. You know, he's not really taking responsibility as a leader and stepping up and saying, wow, this was wrong. This needs to be reversed. Yeah, I was part, along with Haman, I was part of this. Now I'm going to step in. He doesn't step in. And instead, he pawns this off on others. He pawns this off on his scribes. He pawns this off on Esther and Mordecai. He said, you go go ahead. And remember, at this time in the Persian Empire's history, he was considered to be a god, not the god, but a representative of God. And gods don't make mistakes. So Haman's not going to take this mistake. He's not going to take responsibility for it. He says, you guys go ahead and set the new Yeah, Haman did it. And and so with that, verse 9 begins this, the king's scribe were summoned at that time in the third month, which is a month of Silvan on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews and the satraps and the governors and the officials of the province from India all the way to Ethiopia in, in, in eastern Africa, these 127 provinces, each one in its own script, and the people in their own languages the Jews in their script, in their language. Verse 10, and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with a king's signet ring. And then he sent it by these mounted couriers we had talked about on these swift horses, sort of like the Pony Express in our Old West. They were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews in every city. Now hear, hear what he's going to allow. They can now gather. Before they had said they can't gather. And they can defend their lives to kill, to destroy, and annihilate any armed force or any people that per, in the province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On that day, throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. And this new decree doesn't reverse. It doesn't say, oh, no, the first decree, it, it, it no longer is in place. But what it does, it's a written ca- decree that competes directly with that first one. The new Jewish people are now allowed to assemble and defend themselves. They've been given the full protection and permission to destroy and those who kill. But even more than that, this as this goes out, it has the seal of, of of Mordecai. It has the, the backing of the queen and the Jews. Now they're allowed to not only protect themselves and their children and their wives and their property, they're now in, encouraged to do that. They, they now have an advocate, two advocates right before the king. And then we continue in verse 13, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all peoples. So that first decree that had been crafted by Haman and sent out was also publicly displayed to all peoples so that they knew there was a day coming that they were allowed to attack and kill Jewish people. And now this second decree going out is also to be publicly displayed. But this time the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted their swift horses that were used in the the king's service. They rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the Citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white. Remember, he's now in a new position with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. 
the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the people of the country declared they became themselves. They became Jews. Why? Because they had the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. And, and we discussed this. Well, this isn't just, Oh, I'm going to become a Jewish person. I'm going to go to the synagogue. I'm going to learn Hebrew. No, they actually, the male, the men made the decision to be circumcised. Yeah, if they, if they became converts, this was serious stuff. And, and this is, there's something exciting going on here. Cause even as, as Mordecai goes out, there can be no misunderstanding. He's now the number two guy. He's issued this edict with the king, king seal. His, his, um, the king's wife, it, she is a Jew. I mean, you, you can't miss this. Yeah, and what what I want to pull out of here right now is I want us to look at the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Remember that first edict went out when when we back in those early chapters, you know, when when they received it, what was there? There was the the people were in mourning and they were in sackcloth and ashes and, fear. and great fear. And so the response now with this second edict is gladness and joy and honor and there's feasting and there's a holiday. There's a holiday, another holiday coming. And we'll be talking about that in the next week or so. But I want us to go to Jeremiah 31, 13, which, which also it's the people in our, um, they've been carried to Babylon and there's the new covenant coming and all of those pieces. But I just want to pull out 13. The young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And I, I just want to take a head to heart here right now because, you know, there's, there's a lot of sad news <laughs> that we hear every day, right? Yeah. A lot of hard and sad news. But friends, we have a God who will turn our mourning into joy. He will comfort us. And he will give us gladness in the midst of our sorrow. And there's coming a day when God does set all things right. That's that that whole Jeremiah 31. There's coming a day when when everyone will know him from the least to the greatest. There's coming a day when all in, in Israel will have his spirit within them. And they won't need teachers because God will be teaching them. And they won't need so many things because God will be with them. Jesus will be reigning. You know, we long for those days. And and another promise that is given out of the book of Deuteronomy, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind and he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, God found Judah, God found Jacob, God found his people in a desert land, and God encircled them, and God cared for them, and kept them as the apple of his eye. You know, that is a precious promise, as is the Jeremiah 31, that Deuteronomy 32 passage. There's coming a time, a time when God sets all these things right. And in the midst of the discouraging things of this world, if you watch the news and you feel downhearted, read your Bible. Read your Bible and see that God is still on the throne, that he will still has his fingerprints all over his creation, that he will protect his people, the, the Jews. 
and that he will eventually come back and set all things right. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we do look forward to that day when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns. Not, not any human king, but your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, no longer a babe in a manger, but now the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he will come with his angels and with his saints, and he will be victorious, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we long for those days. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, help us, Father, to be faithful to what you've called to us. And Lord, until we, we come together again, would you help us to walk well with God? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.